Uh, we're in Ephesians, and uh, I'm going to offer a prayer for the, for the passage, but I just want to give you an idea where we're headed. Um, when, I, when I read the passage and picked the title uh, before all the study, uh, last week's Sunday, I was preparing uh, for a funeral, and um, also VBS week and all that, so I, I, I did a cursory run-through, and there's something that really jumped out, and that is that Paul is telling the Ephesian elders that look, you got to stand guard and you've got to know your stuff because people are going to come and try to pull you and other members of the flock in Ephesus away. And I just kind of read over a piece and I want to, is that not what you want me to say? I haven't even prayed that prayer yet. Um, but I want, I, I, want us to, I want us to not miss a piece that Paul says when, when he says that the Holy Spirit warns me Every city I enter, that imprisonment and suffering are coming. Now, I know a lot of times, especially in the Western Christian church, we think of suffering. We don't say this, but we think of suffering as you must not be doing God's will. So, therefore, something, I'm doing something wrong. And a question a lot of people ask when they're suffering, when they're hurting, when they're diagnosed with something awful, is they say, what did I do? Is God punishing me for something? I just want us to remember that God calls some to more suffering than others. Why? He's God. But I don't want to trivialize anyone's experience, and I want to encourage us not to trivialize the experiences of others. So let's, let's pray together, and then ask God to, and, and as we ask God to, uh, to reveal himself to us in his scriptures, and then we'll, we're really going to talk about that piece of suffering and the piece of stay, stand firm and guard the flock. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you that you are a God who knows all, that you're a God who is everywhere, that you're a God that is more powerful than we can even conceive of, that you're able to do infinitely more abundantly above all we could ask or even dream up. But Lord, sometimes our experience is that we have dark spaces we have dark times. We have a lot of night, and it seems like morning's never coming, or a lot of winter that seems like no, no Christmas is ever coming. We ask you, Lord, to reveal yourself to us today. And I ask, as the one communicating your word today, that, that you give me your words to speak to your people, that I only speak what you want said, and that people have ears to hear what you want them to hear and eyes to see what you want them to see. And Lord, if there's something I have planned to say or an illustration I have planned to use that you don't want used, just make it so that I don't. And if there's something I'm going to say that is not of you, I ask that you convict me of it so that I don't speak anything that is not your word for your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God, our Father. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 20. And just Acts chapter 20, for, for, for some people, historians love these kind of chapters. For people like me, I, 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 there's a lot of hard words. There's a lot of names of, of, of cities and countries that I've never heard of. Uh, and, and so it's kind of a travel. If you, if you watch uh, things online, you, you, you probably know what a travel a vlog is. It's a video log. But some people like, when I go down to South Central Georgia, uh, near actually Zealand Farm Services has a, I think it's a cotton, a cotton storage area down there. But it's in Cordial, right near Americus, uh, which is near Plains. Some of you remember Plains, Georgia. Um, but when I go down there, uh, there's a double wide trailer that my family owns on a muddy river, uh, dammed up muddy river, Lake Blackshear. And there's this, this, this thing that you're supposed to sign in and out 
when you show up. You're, why are, you know, who are you? Why are you here? What was your experience like? And you date it. And so that you can go back and if you're bored because there's only one channel on the TV and that's Warner Robins Little League Baseball channel. That's it. Uh, no cable. We don't have any of that there. Uh, but you can go, when you're bored, you can kind of go and look and, and, and go back. And I can see my old entries. Um, and I can see the entries of my cousins and my aunt and my uncle, my grandpa and my grandma when they were still alive. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a log of those who have visited. Acts 20 is kind of a vlog or a, a, a log of Paul's travels. Luke is speaking of it. And he goes from here to here, and then he goes to there to there, and then he comes around. And then there's one little segment here where Paul is preaching, and he's pre. <laughs> I think I told you that Paul might not have been the most eloquent of communicators. Um, Apollos was, but Paul, Paul could go. In fact, Luke even says, and I encourage you to read, it's just uh, 20 verses 13 to, oh no, excuse me, just, just before that. So 12 and, and, and forward. <laughs> He says, uh, he, he goes, Paul preached, he was leaving the next morning, so he spoke on and on, and he spoke well into, mi into midnight, and because he went on and on, one young man, Eutychus, was sitting in the window, and he fell into a deep sleep, he fell out of the window, and he died. And so Paul went down there, and he laid, put his body over him, and he said, don't worry, he's alive, he was raised back from the dead, he's resuscitated, and brought back up in, and Paul continued to preach and speak until morning. That's Paul. And why that little story's there, other than the raising Eutychus from the dead and the power of the Holy Spirit that was on the apostles, I don't know that, I think it's because Luke is in charge and not Paul. Luke was the one writing it, and I don't think that Paul would want him to say, Paul spoke on and on and on. So if you think 25 minutes is long, and then we, we find ourselves with more and more travel, and then uh, Paul decides to avoid Ephesus uh, because... It's just, he's, he's running short on time, and he's trying to get to Jerusalem. And it starts like this, from Miletus, or Miletus, hard word, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Now, notice that there'll be a repetition of this word, with tears, Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and one-on-one -on -one from house to house. I have declared to, you, to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me and the task of, testi the, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. And look, I haven't suffered like some. So, what I always am afraid of when we're talking about suffering and pain is to trivialize someone's experience. I just do not want to do that and will never do that intentionally. Um, I've had, you know this, but I've had 14 surgeries. I've had nine car accidents. I've been in two rollovers and two near-death experiences. So I've, I've had my share of injury. But suffering and injury are not necessarily the same thing. When we think of Paul and what he's gone through, and how bad things can, were for him, 
He was called by God. Yes, he was a persecutor of the church, but he was called by God to proclaim the gospel of God, the manifold wisdom of God, not only to the Jews, not only to the Greeks, but to the principalities and the powers of the air. That's in, in Ephesians, that, the, that to declare, the purpose of the church is to declare the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and the powers of the air. If you think of all of, and he lists them, but if you think of all of Paul's sufferings, the shipwrecks, the snake bites, the, the being scourged, uh, the, the taking 39 lashes several times, the time, how often he was in prison, how often he was beaten, how often he was cast out, how often he was castigated, how often he was maligned, how often he was harassed, how often he was, he was libeled. If you, when you meet Paul, I believe, just like Jesus still has wounds from the cross, when you meet Paul, you will shake his hand, you will look him in the eye, and then you will not be able to look at his body. I mean, yes, it will be glorified, but his skin must look like hamburger. He suffered greatly. He took scourge after scourge, beating after beating. And here, he's saying that I'm not going to see you again. We'll get to that part. But that the Lord compels me to go to Jerusalem. He knows he's going back to the very people that, that he used to serve with, and now they want him dead as they wanted him to kill Christians prior to that. Paul knows that the Spirit tells him that this imprisonment and suffering hardships are coming. Now, he's already suffered many. This is his third missionary journey. He only went around the known world three times only. And we look at that, and we can read right over those things and go, yeah, well, Paul, he was an apostle. So that's what happens. But remember Jesus, when he says, take up your cross daily, and follow me, is not the cross a suffering instrument? When he says, blessed are you when the world hates you because of me and my name? When you look back on the prophets and the leaders of God's people throughout the ages, did they have happy, happy, joy, joy? Or did most of them end up either dead or suffering or imprisoned? Even Moses didn't get to see the promised land, even though he rescued through God's power, he rescued the, the people of God from slavery in Egypt. Did, did, did Moses not suffer when he was so frustrated with the people that he went to God and said, I can't do it anymore. Take me, take me out. And God instead raised up elders and, and wise counsel for him. Elijah, Elisha, Malachi, Zechariah. Time after time after time, person after person after person, people after people after, God's people throughout the ages still to this day suffer. In China, would we say to a Chinese suffering, uh, someone who's being martyred for their faith, would we say that you're not walking with the Lord? That you must have done something wrong? When we, we, we get upset when we're stoned to death with marshmallows and they're asking us to pray for them, not for their persecution to end, but that they might have stronger backs so they can endure more, so that they can be a better witness to the grace and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are someone who's been called to more suffering than others, I hope that one day you can get to the point where you can say, my life is worth nothing to me, except that I would complete the task that God, that I would run the race marked out for me. And if you're someone who has been blessed with very little suffering, 
very little heartache, very little dis-ease, that things have come easy for you. Praise God. Thank him. Do not forget that it is his provision and his blessing that has allowed you to have that kind of life. But do not be a counselor like Job's counselors. Do not be someone who looks at someone and says, well, you must have done something wrong. That's not necessarily the case. Did Jesus do something wrong? This isn't a correction. It's a reminder. And we have a tendency as Western, especially not Western Michigan, but Western civilization, we have a tendency to think that Jesus is kind of like a drug, like a painkiller. That if things go bad, we take a little bit of Jesus, we pray a little bit more, and things are all better. And if they don't get better, he must have let us down. But in reality, he calls us to some kind of suffering. At the very least, it's dying to ourselves and saying, not my will, but yours be done. Living, not my will, but yours be done. This week with the children at VBS, we talked about We talked about the call of Abram, who had to leave everything he knew and go to a place that God would tell him about. And then then the promise that he was given was that his descendants will inherit this land, not him. And he picked up and went, and then later God asked him to sacrifice his son, which he was willing to do, though God did not require it of him. And then we talked about Josiah, who was an eight-year-old king of Judah, and and, as he grew older, about 18 years into his, into his reign, he found out that what God had asked his people to do, they hadn't been doing. In fact, they'd been doing many things the opposite. So he thought that he was being faithful to God. And then they found when they were cleaning up the temple, they, they found the book of the law. And he had it read to him and he realized he tore his clothes and he fell to the ground because, because they hadn't been doing what God had called them to do. And God was going to judge the people, but because of Josiah's uh, repentance, he backed off a little. And then we talked about the, the baptism of Jesus, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all present at the same place at the same time. And Jesus was called immediately after that where? Into the desert for 40 days with no food, where he was tempted by Satan himself. And then we talked about Pentecost, which is a glorious time. And we love that passage in, in Acts chapter 2, where, where God shows up and thousands and then thousands more and then thousands more people come to Christ and they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the Lord, many miraculous signs were done and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh, love that. But just months later, persecution kicked in. They stoned Stephen They came after this new Christian group. Why? Because God's promise was that all people of the earth would hear the truth, would be blessed. And so God allowed persecution, suffering, legitimate suffering, where people were being killed. Christians were being lit on fire and hung in the streets as Roman candles. Not in Jerusalem, but elsewhere in the Roman kingdom. Real persecution. Not us, where we're mildly inconvenienced because the news doesn't like us anymore. And God used that persecution to send all of those people back to their homes so that the gospel of Christ was preached in all the known world. And then Paul is called and he goes and he begins to plant churches all around the known world to find those who had heard bits and pieces and clarify 
And he, he, he raises up leaders and he saturates the, the geography with, with new leaders and new churches. And then we hear Paul say this, now I know that none of you, none of, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the, king, the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, the manifold wisdom of God. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after, the, or after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that, that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus himself, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he has said this, he knelt down with them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was a statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. It's amazing to me that Paul, knowing that he's walking toward imprisonment again and hardship, and the word hardship here isn't like, well, yeah, ow, I skinned my knee. The word hardship is here is soft, deep, suffering. He knows what's coming. And what does he do? He speaks to the people of God, the elders of Ephesus that he had sent for because he didn't want to get distracted and pulled in because the Lord wanted him through the Holy Spirit. It compelled him to go to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And, and so he was on his way there and he knew that he loved the Ephesian church so much that he was going to get pulled in. So he brought the elders to him and he tells them he's never going to see him again. He tells them that he's going to suffer. And I'm sure that they, like Peter with Jesus, said, so, oh, no, no, you're not. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. God's got you. But Paul knows that to some, God calls for suffering. And to others, God calls for comfort. But here's the thing. We don't know comfort unless we have dark times. I know that when I was in seminary and I was, I was in a different denomination and I had gone to this denomination seminary. So I went to the wrong seminary for the denomination I used to serve. And it became this big back and forth for about 18 months between the synod and the classes um, about whether or not I was qualified to be ordained or if I had to go back to the other seminary for three more years. And no big deal now looking back. But in the time, it was 18 months of my life where I didn't know if I was being faithful or if, I was, or if it seemed like everyone thought I was trying to take a shortcut. And I remember I had to preach, and, and it was bitter. My name was in the paper, and because of all this stuff, and it, gone to synod, it ended up at Synod twice, and back to classes four times, and, and it was just me, me. You know, it was all about this person that nobody knew. 
I felt like the football and or the ball in a game that I didn't know the rules to. This is back in 1998, 97 and 98. Had nothing to do with character, had nothing to do with qualifications, just had to do with whether I'd gone to the wrong seminary, right seminary or not. And I had to preach a message. This is coming into fall. Uh, this is after the Senate had done what they had done. And, and uh, I come into the seminary and James Cook, Dr. James Cook was one of my New Testament professors. Phenomenal man of God. Just loved him. In fact, when I was installed as senior pastor at Heart Awake, I asked him to come and do the charge. He, was, he had that big of a, he's with the Lord now, but he had that big of an impact on me because of this thing. It was in the summer. He had a summer class, or it was at the end of the summer. He had a class and, and uh, he saw me in the hallway and he goes, how you doing? I saw your name in the paper. And I, I had learned as a Christian what I'm supposed to say to other Christians when you're hurting. Well, it must be a time of refinement by fire. A time of difficulty because God is preparing me for something. I'm supposed to put the best spin on it. And he looks at me and he says, well, or it could just be a time of persecution until you're crucified. And then he walked into his classroom. And I'm walking away like, I can't believe you. What? And by the time I got to the library, I turned around and walked back and I interrupted his class. He just started lecturing. I said, Jim, didn't say Jim then because he had students, but Dr. Cook, could I just one minute? And he came out and I said, you know, when you said it could be a time of persecution until you're crucified, he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I probably should have been a little bit more tactful. I said, no, that's the most freeing thing I've ever heard because I don't have to clean it up. It could just be a time of suffering. That's when, for me, I started seeing all the times in Scripture where suffering is spoken of. And here's the encouragement for all the rest of us. Paul tells the elders, be on your guard, because someone will twist the words of the gospel. Someone will, will, will take things the, to, for their own benefit, whether it's for their own career, whether it's for their, just the pride of having people that follow you. People are going to distort things to draw you away. Some from within your own number will draw you away. And he says, no, not these words right here, but know your scripture, know the gospel, be on your guard, watch, know the truth, know the truth, know the truth, know the truth, folks, know the truth, the whole truth, not just the convenient truth, not just the truth that we like, not just the comforting truth, but also the suffering truth, not just the, 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 for I know the plans I have for me declares the Lord, or for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. But also when that promise came, right before they were going into captivity, folks, our culture is doing everything that it can to drive a wedge between either the people of God and God's will or the rest of the people and the people of God. And the more we give into it, the less powerful the gospel becomes. Paul knew it, and Paul was willing to suffer without compromising the gospel. And Paul tells us, as the recipients of the promise of God, as the recipients of the call of God, every one of us, I know sometimes we think pastors are called, elders are called, deacons are called, but I don't have a call. Every one of us has a call in our life. Every one of us. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. To serve, not to be served. To love, not to be loved. To return evil with evil, no, evil with kindness. To pray for those who persecute you. 
Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, was obedient, even to death on a cross. We have to be guardians of that. We have to know to read, to study, to hold on to, to devour the very word of God so it becomes part of us. Something that I, I, I absolutely admire about Greg Tenbrink is that he writes the scriptures of God on his heart. He memorizes. And it's not just a gift, it's discipline. He writes the word of God on his heart. So that when it's necessary, when it's needed, or when he wants to doubt or be drawn away, the truth of God is within him. We, people of God, are guarding. Can you imagine being a God, all-powerful, all ever, everywhere, all-powerful, all-knowing, choosing to entrust his will for humanity to us? But that's how great his love is for us. That while, not, while we were still sinners, he gave himself for us. He bought the church with his own blood. And we're mildly inconvenienced on occasion. So my encouragement, my exhortation, my prophetic word for you, you cannot guard the call if you don't know the call. Read, study, devour, be consumed by the written will of God. Do you know that secret service agents, they're also a branch of secret services to deal with our currency. They examine counterfeit bills. And I don't know if they still do this today because of the computer chips that are in the bills, but they used to train people with tens and twenties and hundred dollar bills. And they would have secret service agents study every line, every scribble, every little thing on a, on a minted hundred dollar bill, $50 bill, $20 bill, or $10 bill. Over and over and over, they studied it and studied it and studied it. And then they'd give them a stack of like a hundred, hundred dollar bills. And they would flip through trying to find the one counterfeit in there. And they flip through and they go, ah, someone right there. So they take about half the bills away, they flip through. No, someone right in there, ah, and they flip through. They could find the counterfeit bill. They couldn't tell you what was wrong with it, but because they knew the truth so well, they could spot falsity. They just knew something was off. That is what God calls us to, to know his will so well, to know his word so well, to know his gospel so well. That when something tries to pull us astray and the enemy will do anything he can to pull us away. That you might not know what's wrong, but you will have a check in your spirit. Some kind of a gut response that says, I don't know. I'm going to have to test that in the word of God. I hope you find this encouraging and not discouraging. I hope you find this as a, an exhortation to love and good deeds and not... Not a condemnation of you haven't done enough because God is not about us doing more. He's about us letting him love us more. It's not how can I love him better. It's about how can we let God love us more. 
Instead of trying to earn salvation and favor, to embrace the favor and salvation that he offers. To live in such a way that we're pleased with God, not trying to please God. To recognize that we are already his children and there's nothing we can do to send him away. And he will never send us away. So if you're suffering, it's a pretty high calling. I'm sorry it hurts. But you're in really good company. Will, will God reveal to you the meaning or the reason? I don't know. When you're there, yeah. But when you're here, I don't know. But know that he loves you. And he allows what he could prevent because he wants the manifold wisdom of God to be proclaimed, not only to flesh and blood, but to the principalities and the powers of the air. And if you're someone who thinks that Sunday morning hearing a message is enough to know the will of God, it's not. Be devoted. Devour. Study. Ask God to show you wisdom so that you will not be led astray. Let's pray. Almighty God, you chose us to be your guardians when you are the guardian of all. We are to be like you. We are to be with you. And we know that you are with us. So Lord, remind us that you announce your gospel, your good news. Glory to God in the highest and on earth to humanity on whom God's favor rests. Lord, we need not try to earn your favor. We need only to live within it. And then do what you call us to do. Go where you call us to go and be who you call us to be. Give us the courage and give us the hunger and thirst for righteousness that we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, that he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor and dominion, both now and forevermore. Amen.